When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One, two, three. <laughs> and now, everybody, MC Search. MC Search. MC Search. All right, it's the other white meat, MC Search. Welcome to another edition of Search Says. Um, we are here, ladies and gentlemen, with a very famous appropriator, if you will. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I just, because you know what? Mm-hmm. You're, you're in a lot of, you're, you're a white guy in a lot of black spaces, and I relate to that. Sure. Danny Strong is here, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's a pleasure. I'm, I got to tell you, I got to give you a lot of naches uh, for my people who are not of the tribe. Mm-hmm. That means props. Mm-hmm. Um, your work, not only as an actor, which I love. I can go to How I Met Your Mother and your characters on Seinfeld and your characters on Friends, which are super dope and all some of my favorite shows. My personal favorite story that I did on research on you is that you, at 25, wrote a show that never got picked up about you and your homeboy killing someone for their rent-controlled apartment. So major props for you for that. Are we allowed to touch? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Good. We just fist bumped for yeah, uh, all you listening. Yeah, and uh, and watching. Yeah, this, and watching. This will be on YouTube. All right. Um, I love that. I love that theater. I love that idea. And I really want to know what the name of that show was. Uh, was it was it a movie. It was called Die, Harry, Die. There you have it. I love it. And that. I was attached to star in it. That was uh, when I wrote it, it was a very rewarding experience. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna pursue a writing career now. But this is a cool little independent film. I'm gonna stay I mean, this could be my swingers or my Rocky, and I'm just gonna stay and that attached was a big to move. this. That was a big yeah, move around yeah. that time. So I had... wouldn't and some people tried to buy it without me attached and uh, I said no. Stuck to my guns, to this day never been made. But hey, stuck to my guns. That's what matters. I, I'm not yeah. mad at you. I'm not mad at Didn't you happen. as a twenty five year old who Stuck to your guns. Now, did you write this with a partner, or is this just you I writing just it? I just wrote it. Were you high? No, I was, you I was not high. Okay, okay. I was not that's high. I was never, never and let me just high. tell you, if, if that's not your thing, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, not my thing. Um, just be, makes me and, fall asleep. Never speaking been of high, we'll it. get to Dope Sick later, but, yeah, there you but go. nice non-segue. Um, but I love the passion of writing, and I wanted to kind of go back a little bit to when you were growing up in California. Did you have like a circle of friends that were into like music was was lyrics kind of an impetus for you in terms of of writing written word no no not at all i grew up in manhattan beach which uh you know i grew up there in the 80s was this middle class lower middle class beach town so it's nothing like what it is now which is very wealthy and we were just you know uh it was different yeah you could uh after school at seven, eight, nine, we would all just go play sports. Right. You know, we didn't have parental supervision, and my mom was a telephone operator who worked the shift right out of school. Right. So I was just kind of sort of a latchkey kid, but it wasn't a lonely thing because me and my friends would just literally ride our bikes and go play sports. So it was right. a very uh, I, I, suburban existence, I guess you would was say. Was it a mixed crowd? Did you grow up with a lot of people who were just multicultural? Or was it just very much one-sided? Not really. Not really that mixed. It was It was mostly white. Um, uh, a, f- a friend of mine was black when I was 10, 11, 12. Uh, the quintessential, we all had a black friend. Y- exactly, yeah. exactly. But, but he was a very good friend of mine, and, and uh, I think that was actually influential on me That's cool. uh, to a certain extent as far as, uh, you know, I'd go on to write a lot of civil rights material, and uh, I, I'm sure that was part of it. Yeah, and, you know, when you're talking about growing up in Manhattan Beach, is also this, you know, you talk about the separation of that quiet, quaint little... Manhattan Beach Town, and then obviously 30 minutes south, or I'm sorry, 30 minutes north, you have Compton, you have hip-hop growing up, you know, from that. Mm-hmm. 
did that. Might play... as well have been uh, uh, two hundred miles away. Yeah, it might have been but Europe. Yeah, it might as well have been. It was New not. York. It was not it even just... part of of of, uh, of my childhood. I mean, literally, my childhood was like a, a half mile area. That we would ride our bike, you know, uh, right. and 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 it was in it was called the tree section of Manhattan Beach, and that wow. was that was basically that was basically my existence. So, what did you listen to? What kind of music you listen to in the tree section? Oh man, the Smiths, what, the Cure, no. Wham. Wham, and Duran Duran. Wake me and up Prince. before you go go, dude. Wake me up before you go go was was you, the shit. No, it was a uh, careless whisper. That was deep. Uh, careless that whisper. was the one that you just looked up into the sky, it you and your deep. friends, and it was the video. I don't know if you remember the video. I remember but, the. Wind- <laughs> But, but George Michael's heart gets broken in that broken. video, and my heart was broken in that video yeah. for him. And yeah. So, you know, that's, yeah, that's really that deep. That's, that's very sweet. <laughs> yeah. It's a very yeah. sweet story. Yeah. Um, and Huge then, Prince fan as a kid. Yeah. So much so I was Prince for Halloween. At I'm 10 trying years to, old. Well, I'm trying to picture it because you had the height for Prince, yeah, obviously. Yeah. I think I'm the you know, same height uh, now, <laughs> uh, not then. Right. Yeah. But did you recognize Prince as like a sex symbol, like when you when you were coming up with? Because I always kind of identify music for me at mm-hmm. least. Music has always been this kind of emotional identifier, as well as this spiritual. It, it just took me to a different place. When I heard "Let's Go Crazy," it didn't matter where I was. I wanted to go crazy, mm-hmm. right? Like purple rain. To me, there was rain. There was rain that was purple. Like it was just there's a very connective for me. There was a connective tissue to the music that was being made, lyrics that were being said, and the artist who was saying them. For you, it sounds like it was very just. It was songs. They were great songs. Yeah, there were sing-alongs. I, and you, I think it was the, the the movie Purple Rain was a big deal to me. I think when I was a kid, um, I think I saw it the day it opened, and um, and I think that was why I became such an obsessive Prince fan. Was was because of Purple Rain, and I'd wear purple all the time, and I mean, well, you know, sign of royalty. There you go. And there as a go. Jew, we want to be royal. Yeah, exactly. More times than not. Was, yeah. And the um, the other <laughs> the other thing that I loved about Prince, Prince always came across as gay until you saw him with a gang of women, mm-hmm. like, and he was almost androgynous in a lot of ways, but you knew he wasn't gay, but he could play I, gay. I think at ten, that wasn't even on my radar. You know, See, I don't think I, I don't think I, I differ. Yeah, I don't think I had any sense of that as a ten year old. I think it was just he was a rock star and, he was and dressed super like cool. a rock. I think it was just to me that was a rock star vibe. Yeah, no. You know, we, I didn't think in terms of sexuality. Far Rockaway Queens, we were definitely you were over, on, oh, yeah, super yeah. over sexualized mm-hmm. at ten. Yeah. Um my mother for my bar mitzvah gave me Playboy. Okay. Um because I was already stealing it at eleven from my father. Mm. So, you know, I just was super over sexualized. So it was just automatically kind of how I saw him was this this, you know, s- amazing short sex god. Anyway, moving on to you. Mm-hmm. Um the other thing that I read that I thought was really interesting is um when you were working on as an actor, you started to really develop this passion for writing and I think it was before you worked on the Butler. You did recount, right? Is that is that the yeah? Timing? That was the first thing I sold. Right. Was uh, was the was the the movie? Uh, I was a pitch for the movie for recount. Yeah, that was after writing for seven years. So wow. I didn't sell anything for seven years. So no co-writing credits, not because I couldn't find anything like Zero. no. Co- so no. were you ever in a writing room, even just nope. a front? No. Nothing. No, so I, just I was act- writing screenplays. I was acting, and I was writing screenplays at night, in the afternoon, whenever. Uh, I mean, I was unemployed quite a bit as an actor, so I probably had more time right. than than I just stated. But yeah, so so it was it was a long journey to my first sale, right. which was the movie recount, which I love because you talked about that a little bit in your in your when you, and thank you for this, and I don't mean this in any other way, but thank you for giving back as a acting teacher. And and kind of committing that time as as well to tell people like yo, it's not an overnight success. You got to really work for it. You got to put in those ten thousand hours. And I, I think that a lot of young people see oh, he you know oh I just saw him on TV on Seinfeld and I oh I just saw him on this so he must have been able to finance or get into the right rooms or connect with the right directors. Was that ever kind of a, a spiel for you like? Oh, there's Fred Savage. I'm going to give him, you know, um, oh, I'm on set with Doogie Howser. I'm going to, you know. I, I definitely, uh, I never gave my stuff to actors, but I did get to meet producers that I would give my scripts to over the years during mm-hmm. that seven-year period. So it was, uh, so for sure there was, from the acting career, I was I was meeting people. 
Um, but, you know, the number of passes that I racked up during that period of time is pretty staggering. I mean, the first three or four years, the number of managers and agents that passed on me. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I had a friend of mine who was a producer who really liked Die, Harry, Die, that very first script I wrote. So, uh, and he was a great guy. His name's Robin Bissell. He was uh, Gary Ross's producing partner who directed The Hunger Games, and mm-hmm. this guy produced The Hunger Games. And so he was constantly giving my scripts to to agents and managers, and just no one wanted me. And they just, script after script after script. So it was, um, yes, I did have connections uh, and uh, from from those experiences, but you know, it was it wasn't like the doors just open wide open, and it was it was like, oh well, because you're on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, we're now going to buy your screenplay. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't it, it just isn't how it worked. Uh, each script is its own thing, and either people want it or they don't. And by the way, it's still like that today. I mean, when I took the pitch for Dope Sick out, I thought, well, I've got a best selling book. This is, I think, a terrific project, and and everyone but one company passed. Wow. So it's it's sort of it's just still how it is to a certain extent. I, I it's also because these projects cost so much money, right. not just for them to produce, but for to mark out right. to market. So it's a it's a massive investment. So I, I think the days of people just constantly buying stuff is is, is I, that's just not my experience anymore. The um, and obviously the rewards that came with recount were just. I mean, I'm sure you were a little kind of shocked i mean not only because the cast was so amazing but i mean you got the treasures on the on the shelf yeah where do you keep where do you keep the treasures yeah uh you know it's funny for for recount i actually lost a bunch of awards although i did win the writers right. guild that, award which, which, was, it, which was awesome yeah it was game change that was yeah. kind of the one that 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 had a great award season and i won a bunch of stuff for that oh i got a couple in my living room and then a bunch in my office so none in the bathroom. You're not that guy, right? None in the bathroom. Yeah, none no, in the bathroom. No, I, I, yeah. I, I, I love that. I, I like him too much, you know. <laughs> I don't I don't play it cool with my awards. Uh, I got the I got the Emmys uh, right in the living room. You nice. know, if I could put a spotlight on them, I would. Yes. But, just you know, the clapper. Yeah, you yeah, just, something. Right. <laughs> you know, That's the way to do it. Set of mirrors right. and surround it. So I have fun. a dear friend of mine who's sold a lot of records, and mm-hmm. all of his gold albums are in his laundry room. Well, there you go. I mean, it's one badass laundry room. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's a kick-ass yeah. laundry room. Yeah, totally. Um. But the other thing I think that's really interesting is that around 2010, if I remember correctly, you worked with Lee Daniels on The Butler. Mm-hmm. Was that the first time you connected with Lee? Yeah. And working together, how did that how did that come about? So I got hired to write the movie The Butler, um, and I wrote the script. Uh, was an incredible experience for me. It's actually sort of similar to writing Dope Sick in that. The, the subject matter was so emotional. You know, the story of the civil rights movement and Dope Sick is the story of the opioid crisis. And they're both, there were such powerful, powerful events to, um, to, to wallow in for years, right? Right, right? You know, and all that research. Um, so I wrote the script and my agents, um, they loved it. Uh, so we, t- we turned it into Sony because that was the studio. But they also gave it, this was on a Friday, and they gave it to Steven Spielberg on a Friday as well. By Monday, the studio hadn't read it, but Spielberg had read it and said, "Yeah, he because to do he, it. it was Shabbos, so he had nothing yeah, else to yeah, do yeah, but, but 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 well, read." It's it's also like though though you get to understand why people like him become him. You know, yeah. you know, for him to literally just read that, boom! You know, the biggest director in the history of the business, and like he read he read the script right away uh, before the studio, and he said he wanted to do it. Wow! And that all of a sudden, this went from a script that was probably the biggest long shot at the studio to Red Hot. Uh, after I don't know a, a long period of time, he decided not to make it. But but Lee Daniels had read it in that interim, and Lee was sort of waiting, hoping that Spielberg would drop out. Right. And so the so the day Spielberg dropped out, Lee Daniels raised his hand and then got the got the job the next day. So I went from you know Spielberg to Lee Daniels, which was amazing. Yeah. A, you know, Academy Award nominated director and and a really uh, perfect director for the project. So so that was the beginning of the relationship. But I find it interesting, obviously, you know, and this was a little bit before, obviously, the life that we're living now where everything's under a microscope, appropriation, you know, white people in black spaces, you know, um, the voice 
and how we perceive language, how we perceive Me Too movement, obviously George Floyd, you know, all of the uh-huh. things that we experience. And when I say we, not only as human beings, but we as white people in black spaces. When, when you were working on The Butler, was there ever a time where Lee questioned the authenticity of the language that was being used? Did you guys ever go back and forth in terms of saying, hey, Danny, man, I listen, I give you a lot of props. This is dope. But. Yeah, like, so so to even take it a step further, I yeah. mean, this was 2009 when I was hired to write this project, right? And that would never happen now. I mean, I don't even, I wouldn't even be on a list to to write the project now. And maybe that's for the best, you know. Yeah. Maybe that's how it should be. Maybe maybe I shouldn't have been the one uh, hired to write this in 2009. For me, uh, the article was sent to me. I was deeply moved by it. I had written, one of the reasons why they came to me was because post-recount, I had written a script on Brown v. Board of Education of Thurgood Marshall trying, you know, not yeah. trying, succeeding in winning Brown yeah. v. Board of Education. And so uh, uh, they really liked that script. They saw I was really passionate about civil rights. Uh, so, so you know, it all came from a, a place of passion at the end of the day, which was why they came to me. Um, but but uh, that certainly wouldn't happen today, and I Where don't, does I don't think it should happen today. Where's the passion for civil rights come from? I, I don't I don't really know. I mean, I think it's a combination of things. I, I've been enraged about racism, I think, since I was eight, nine years old, watching, I think, movies, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I think because I didn't grow up in, in some fiery, you know, uh, community with, with no, racial really, strife. No, not really, but close. 92, uh, the riots, L.A. riots. You, I mean, you were the, you were, I mean, again, you. I'm talking way pre that. No, you know? I, no I'm, I'm clear. Because but, but, it, it came, it was, I was eight, nine, ten when I was kind of like really angry about racism and really, really fired up about it. Um but I do think it's probably just from movies yeah. and from from watching movies. You know, do the right thing was a huge kind of seminal moment me for me. me too. I think I was thirteen when that came out. Yeah. Uh, so that was a really seminal moment watching that movie. Um, so so then when it came to Lee and the Butler, yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, and by the way, I have I, I, not. It's not just projects. It's not just um, um, black themed projects where I am open minded to feedback. Right. It's it's everything I've ever done, everything I've ever worked on. I, I've had zero expertise in. Mm. Right. So I'm constantly going to uh, on dope sick. I hired an Appalachian author to be a consultant so that uh, we didn't get any of the Appalachian world wrong so that we didn't stereotype it. Mm. Right. So on the butler, we didn't have to hire anyone. There was Lee Daniels. Right. right, right, right. And so, uh, yeah, yeah I, so I 150 percent followed his lead on all cultural issues. Yeah. And I thought that for uh, I'd gotten the script pretty far. I, I think it was a really complicated script. I think probably the most complicated script I'd ever written uh, because it was, you know, the history of the civil rights movement through the eyes of a White House butler and his son over 40 years. I mean, it, it was, it no, was ext- such a great extremely, film. extremely ambitious. Right. Yeah. So so that was not easy to do. Uh, and then when Lee came in, you know, Lee added his spin. He said, this stuff feels totally wrong to me right here. Great. Well, what should it be? You know, right. we go back and forth. And pretty quickly, he um, pretty quickly, I think he felt really good about working with me. Uh, we had this kind of nice back and forth. Uh, I'm also uh, because I write about so many things that are not things that I know anything about, right? Mm-hmm. So I come in really open-minded. I don't come in defensive. Uh, and all I want is for the script to be as good as it could be. I mean, when I wrote Recount, I had no background in politics or in journalism. I was just fired up. I was just angry about the Iraq war. You know, mm-hmm. that was that was really where where that came from uh, uh, originally. So anyways, yeah, that it's 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 always been like that. And, and I think people, they bring it up, you know, particularly on the Butler and on Empire, of so you know how does this work and and the truth is is it how it works is it works the same on anything I've ever done which is which is you know research and and then you know being open minded and empathy for my characters whoever they are right. you know trying to get trying to just get in people's heads and then giving the script to people that know more about the subject matter than I do to right. see where I went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, tell me where I go wrong because I, I want I want this to be as authentic as possible. Right. Um, um, and that's, you know, and in the case of Empire, I mean, we had this, we had a writer's room. Um, yeah, shout out to my man Carlito. Yeah, Carlito's fantastic, right? Amazing. right? Like a, a true, one of the MVPs of the writer's room, right? Yeah. And so... Uh, to was, name one, but I mean, like, yeah, I know all I mean, of them. But, you know, there's some, you know, Malcolm Spellman and Attica Amazing. Locke have come out of that Amazing. writer's room yeah. creating 
writing their own shows. And so I was one of uh, the only white people in the writer's room, right? right? So when it came to all cultural issues, <laughs> yeah. right, I'm listening to everyone else. Right. I'm ta- you know, and I'm loving it. It's, right. it's just, it was, I loved that experience. I just loved learning about things I didn't know, you know? And a lot of where uh, Empire came from was the, the press tour on the butler. You know, I was the only white guy on the press tour with Lee and all of Lee's friends, right? And mm-hmm. everyone was so cool and funny and dynamic. And I sometimes think about that early draft of of the pilot of the butler, uh, not the butler of Empire. And it was like, oh, it all came from like hanging out with Lee's friends, you know, right, right, right. and the butler's press tour. Right. Uh, so, so, so much of it came from from that experience and then and then the same thing that I do on everything which is yeah you know where I get a lot of stuff from is, is watching YouTube videos right you know right. on 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 dope sick it was just watching these coal miner videos of, of and they they'd always be 10 minutes long right and they're very authentic cuz mm-hmm. it's not a it's not a professional documentary it's someone that lives in yeah, that world takes a camera in there and they walk around uh, and they yeah, just live their I, life i get so much I, I get a lot from those from 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 that type of research as well so it's it's a it's a very open experience you right. know and and now because of the sensitivity uh you know that goes with that um which I'm totally empathetic to as well. I get it, you know, I totally get it. And, and you know, there's so many different things that I want to work on. Um, so if me working on a black project is going to upset people, then I, I just won't do that, right. right? So so I haven't been, you know, Lee Daniels every five months calls me. He's like, what, what are we doing our next thing? What are we doing next? I'm like, I don't think I should, you know. I well, think that's that, not fair to you. I mean, look, the, the yeah. one thing I wanted to say too, well, there's like 22 things I just... Very enamored with what you're saying here because Uh I think your path is really unique and I think it's really an anomaly and I'll explain why. You know, there's some very well-known black executives. One that comes to mind is a guy out of um, your neck of the woods named Big U. And Big U worked with Nipsey Hussle, may he rest in peace. And and he said that he worked with a specific white Jewish, like OG gangster kid from Long Island named um, Steve Lobel. And they said when, you know, you always need to have a white guy go in the room. I can I have I can be the black guy with the talent, but in the music business, you always need a white guy to walk in the room. You always need that, right? Mm-hmm. It's still kind of true to this day. I think that in Hollywood, it's becoming less. With the Issa Rays of the world, with the Malcolm Spellmans, with the Kenya Barrises, with the Anthony Andersons, with the Artist First, with the Will Packers. I mean, I can go on and on. Reggie Hudland. Sure, I think DuVernay. Yeah, and... Big shot. I love Ava. Yeah, I was going to just talk about her last, but there's so much um, ability now for that wall to be shattered. They're still in the music business. Most of the black urban divisions are still run by white guys. If that's a tragedy, it is what it is, and it is a tragedy, but it is what it is, right? So you work on The Butler. It's amazing. You guys build this rapport. Was there this sense that Lee said, okay, with Empire, I need the white guy to walk in the room? No, no, it wasn't that at all. It was, we were in post on the butler. Um, it, it got to a point where I was kind of the only person Lee would listen to on notes. Because he really trusted my notes, right? And so we were just getting along like gangbusters uh, on the on the butler post-production process. And then uh, he just kept frequently saying, what are we doing next? What are we doing next? We're magic. We're magic. What are we doing ah, next? That's great. So then uh, then I came up with the idea for Empire mm-hmm. right around that time. And uh, as soon as I came up with the idea, I How thought, did you pitch the idea to him, Empire? What uh, did you say? So so I, it was, I came up with the idea in L.A., flew back to New York, which is actually where I live, and he was there too. We had lunch because I told him I got an idea for him. And I, I took him through I, – I pitched it as a movie. That was my idea is, is as a movie. But I took him through the – what to be honest with you, exactly what the show was. Um, I just said it's it's like King Lear or The Lion in Winter and a hip-hop empire except, you know, King Henry II or King Lear instead of, instead of daughters. Uh, he's got three sons, and I took him through each son and that his wife – uh, uh, had cookie. the cookie, yeah, which I didn't have the name for at the time, but I said his wife uh, 
uh, just gets out of prison, and she's the one. She went to prison for the money that started the record label that turned him into a huge star. And so, sort of the inciting incident mm-hmm. of the movie is her coming out of uh, her coming out of prison, and 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 she really wants her gay son to take over the empire, but he hates the son because he's gay, and he wants the other son who's yeah. much more raw. It was it was just kind of the whole thing. I remember at one point I said. Uh, I said, yeah, and the, the mother, so this, this is going to be a great part. This is like Mama Rose on crack. And then he started screaming, yes, darling, yes, darling, Mama Rose on crack, darling. Like, I knew he'd love that. <laughs> so it was. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, uh... <laughs> you know, if I could get tattoos, I'm Jewish, and if I was allowed to get mm-hmm. tattoos, mm-hmm. I think I would get Mama Rose on crack <laughs> on the back of my neck. Yeah, I'll you never forget the, him just screaming, by the way, yes, you, darling. <laughs> you get a plus one. You and the you and your guests get into the club for free on that fucking one. That's amazing. So that's but, how that, that that's how that came to be. Let me ask you a question, because and, and maybe I'm wrong in thinking this, so please correct me, but it seemed like Empire had a lot of inertia, right? Yeah. And then it kind of fell flat. And then I think you'll be able to relate to this. I disagree. Let me I let me just let me wait, let me just get to let me get to my point. So, you know, it comes out, it's a great beginning. And then, you know, Seinfeld had the Chinese restaurant moment. Um, How I Met Your Mother was the challenge accepted moment. You know, I think it was the fifth or sixth show, whatever. I think, could be wrong, I think when Taraji P. Henson, Cookie, got up and said, hey, you want to see an ass? Here's an ass. That was your Chinese restaurant moment. That's when the whole world took notice. Am I, I mean, and again, I might be wrong, but that was like the I, fifth episode I, I, I in. I love you, but you're wrong. Okay. Yeah, it, massive hit right out of the gate. Literally, the pilot had massive oh, numbers. Oh, I remember that. And then it was, and then each week, I mean, it was a phenomenon, literally right out of the gate. It was, it was, it was crazy. I mean, I've never experienced anything like that. And I don't know if anyone on it had, because each week of season one, the ratings went up all the way to the end, all the way to the finale. We, we went up wow. every single week for 12 episodes straight. And, uh, and then we go into season two, and, you know, there's, uh, there's all, all, this, this bus, all this spotlight on us, all this. And the show, and then all of a sudden it was, it's not as good as it was, or it's lost its way. And the truth was, uh, it didn't really. It still was really high quality. It was the numbers stayed the same all the way through seasons two. It was mm-hmm. extremely high numbers, uh, but there was definitely some unforced errors we made that uh, that people just like exploded on. Uh, as far as just because it was just so red hot and so crazy successful, mm-hmm. but the show stayed um, pretty strong through season two, mm-hmm. um, and then season three it was it was you know it's a soap opera right so these things. It just gets really hard to top yourself, and to, you know, we one thing we did um, that was that was a I would call an unforced error, or wasn't as elegant as it could be, is that we burned through stories so fast. So it was just burnt, just turning it, which is what made it so addictive. Yeah. But then also, I don't want to say we ran out of gas because we went six seasons and people loved it. So it was it it, it was still really a successful run of television. And yes, we didn't keep the momentum of that first red hot season, but that first red hot season was was a phenomenon. It was the biggest thing in entertainment during that oh, five there's, mo- there's that no four doubt. or five month period. So there's no it doubt. was it was a, I still think uh I still think we you know we delivered through the through the run of the show, a, a really quality show and even though we couldn't maintain um, astronomical numbers, we up until the last season we had really high numbers, you know, or 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 you know, strong, I would say really strong numbers. Yeah. Uh, so another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. And also, you know, one of the things I was thinking about, and I want to kind of talk about Dope Sick, because whether you know this or not, I'm in recovery. Um, 11-11 will be 10 years, and we have an entire podcast about that. Thanks. Although that was not my drug of choice. Um, were you aware of when you were doing Empire how many rappers were men- mentioning Oxy in their in their records, or that was 
between Percocet, Molly Percocet, Oxy, Lean, that was an impetus maybe in the back of your head somewhere saying, hmm, I wonder what the bigger picture is. Or it's just, again, music yeah. plays no part of it. It doesn't matter if Future is saying it or Lil Wayne is saying it or even Herbo G or whoever are mentioned in Pop and Oxy like like Tic Tacs. That's, and that's a lyric from somebody's record. Yeah. You know, I pop Oxy I, like Tic Tacs. I don't think I noticed it as far as is, is sort of quacking it in any different to, to weed references or or other kind of substance references. It, yeah. didn't, it didn't stick out as me, stick out to me is, is there something going on here with Oxy? Because at that point, Oxy... Uh, and opioids were part of the culture, uh, part of the drug culture uh, right. uh, at that point. So, so right. it didn't it didn't particularly pop out for me. Yeah. It, it was actually the um, producer came to me in I think 2018, John Goldwyn, right. really talented producer, and and there'd been this big article about the Sackler family in the New Yorker. Yeah, no, and, I was I'm very well aware of yeah, that. Yeah, and that, that article, article blew the story up yeah. uh, and and changed the Sacklers' lives. Patrick yeah. Braden Keith wrote that article for yeah. the New Yorker. And that was the start of it because that's what that's what he came to me to say. Do you want to do a movie about the Sacklers? And I said, I don't know. Well, I read the article and let me take a look at it again. And because I'd read the article months yeah. earlier, and so then I I kind of dove into it, and uh, and it was there's I call it the 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 Purdue Pharma rabbit hole. Yeah. That once you start falling down that rabbit hole, you're you can't. You can't believe what they did. You oh, do I can't believe the criminal I, behavior. I will share with you. Endless. I'm, I'm very so that, that's well where aware that's, of it. That's how I. That's that's how I fell into this story. Which yeah. Was just, just, just shock and awe. Yeah. At the at the deception uh, and the criminality of yeah. Purdue. Yeah. And I love how you targeted the cities, you know, in 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 northern Maine and West Virginia and Kentucky that became their literally their 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 you know rabbit or rat traps for pushing hundreds of thousands of pills to people who didn't need it. Um, I wanted to ask you about something, though, as you kind of went through this, um, because obviously what I love about this, and you said it before, you said that the butler was, you know, really complicated but I think you kind of in Dope Sick kind of interweaving three fucking stories. Yeah, totally complicated. Like, yo, yeah. way complicated. Yeah. Like, that's I mean, you're talking about, yo, shit, bro, yeah, you know? like, yeah. that's like fucking Monopoly versus the Rubik's Cube with yeah. 16 pieces yeah. instead of four. Accurate. Yeah. Thank you. But no, no, For thank noticing, you. I no, bro, that. <laughs> no, thank you because, you know, in that intersect, and I think Rosario Doss and Michael Keaton, they do such a brilliant yeah, job. Incredible. Fucking brilliant yeah. job. But, you know, when you're dealing with, this opioid addiction, and now that you've kind of cut, you're in post, and you're doing the press on it, you know, now we're two years into it, right? 2020 was the largest amount of deaths to opioid, and 2021, we're almost going to double it, right? Now that you have a 30,000-foot view almost of the opioid addiction in the, in the U.S., do you understand the idea between pharmaceutical addiction and natural addiction? Because the way I see it, and, and please correct me because, you know, you might be in a little deeper than I am. There's usually people that are born with addiction, right? They say that there's a certain amount of dopamine that's presented to the body. Certain people are just born as addicts, right? It doesn't manifest till later, whether it's overeating, sex, drugs, whatever. But this is pharmaceutical addiction. These are people that are looking for relief from an aspirin. They're looking for relief from an Advil. And they're now being created into pharmaceutical addiction, right? Mm-hmm. The criminality there is obvious, but do you understand the difference now that you're a director and a producer of a show like Dope Sick? Sure. I mean, what you, I, what you just explained is one of the great tragedies of the opioid crisis. Right. Is people um, seeking medication for pain relief uh, are given essentially uh, heroin and a pill. Yeah. They're given a highly addictive narcotic that their doctor has been made to believe is actually practically non-addictive, less than 1% addictive, uh, in in the, the fairest case scenario, less addictive than other opioids. Right. Right? You know, all of this, you know, completely untrue. Right. Easily to wean off. Easily to... I, I Easily mean, at one point they gave out studies that said if you're under... 
If you're taking 60 milligrams a day or less, you can quit cold turkey without withdrawals. That yeah. was a study that they gave. Yep. So here's sort of like the... You need to do the rock quotes around the study, yeah, though. It's well, a he, study, yeah. Here's the sort of the, the kind of the simplistic baseline of what Purdue Pharma did, right? Is that they sold this drug, OxyContin, uh, as is less addictive than other opioids, using the phrase, uh, less than 1% of people get addicted. Um, you know, sales reps using that phrase. And the, the concept of, of the drug, that it was less addictive than other opioids, is a lie. Okay? That is untrue. So what does that mean? That means every single piece of evidence, everything they give to support their argument that their drug is less addictive, that's also a lie. Mm-hmm. So that that leads to a sprawling amount of deceptive, criminal, misbranding, whatever you want phrase you want to use mm-hmm. of information. And that's the rabbit hole I fell down. Yeah. Is 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 oh, so this study they gave out, that was a lie. Oh, these blood charts. Oh, they're fraudulent blood charts. Oh, and and the one percent study. Oh, oh, that doesn't even exist. Right. I, you know, it's it's literally yeah. one after the next in, in your mind. Just you're you're in this shock because the consequences of it mm-hmm. were so staggering, mm-hmm. uh, and, and everyone talks about the number of people that have died um, from from opioid overdoses, right? Five hundred, six hundred thousand. I mean, the number just keeps growing. Yeah, yeah. Complete tragedy. But what about the millions of people that are struggling through addiction issues that have lost years of their lives? What about their family members, the family members of people that died or the Mm -hmm. family members that are dealing with the trauma of a loved one who's going through? I mean, the tentacles of this spread to millions and millions of people. And for what? For what? I for profit? Know. No, for like twenty people in one family making money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's twenty-five people, thirty people. I, I yeah. don't know exactly, but it's a very, very small group of people in one family mm-hmm. buying art. You know, um, I, I've always thought if you could make a, a sizzle reel of of Mortimer D. A. Sackler's art collection, which a friend of mine in the art world says is actually a very shitty art collection, so he doesn't even have good taste, I guess, according to my friend mm-hmm. who's in the art world. If you could just make a, a sizzle reel of his paintings, of of what he's bought with this money that has caused so much suffering, it would be, I think, you know. One of the bleakest, most tragic things you could ever watch. I mean, just the, the absurdity of yeah. it. Yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's staggering and enraging. Well, I want to share something with you that I hope will put a smile on your face. Okay, I'm I'm working with a company called MSP Recovery. It's three uh, lawyers out of Florida. Don't hold Florida against them. Okay. The the long yeah. and short of it is this: <laughs> they've come up with a, a way of helping states recover money. Uh, that was fraudulently paid out. And we met with the governor of North Carolina, Governor Cooper, and we met with the attorney general. And obviously there have been payouts to the states. North Carolina, and I can tell you this to your face because I met with them last week, North Carolina is using the money they're getting back to open up um, addiction centers all through North Carolina. Mm -hmm. It's the largest single-handed um, non-for-profit addiction centers that are based on education, rehabilitation, and growth, right? So if you're an addict in North Carolina and you suffered from anything, the opioid money that they're getting back through MSP and through their recovery program, they're building rehab facilities to get people back on their feet, re-educate them because there's a certain amount of brain loss, mm-hmm. to re-educate them, to get them back into public you know, or private sector, depending on what they want to do, or what they did do. And this model, we are now taking out to, we're meeting with the attorney general in Georgia, literally on Friday, mm-hmm. and 17 other states. And MSP is doing this work on no short behalf of scumbags like these, mm-hmm. um, but seeing it as a bigger way to help others. Mm-hmm. Um, when you hear something like that, does it put your work in a different perspective? No, I'm thrilled to hear it. I mean, it's one of the the main goals of the show, right? Which is, you know, the show basically has two main goals. One, which is to document their crimes mm-hmm. for the country. Well done, by uh, the way. Thank you. Thank you. And then in the last two episodes, we start to get into recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- those episodes haven't aired yet for people if they're listening at a later date. At this point, they haven't aired. But, but we get into recovery and one of 
one of the, the sort of main things that, that we're trying to achieve was so important to Beth Macy, who wrote the book Dope Sick, uh, is to destigmatize Suboxone and buprenorphine, which are extremely effective in treating opioid use disorders. Uh, and the number of people that, that get it, it's, it's something like 12 to 15 percent of people that need buprenorphine right. actually get it. It's like saying... 15% of people uh, that need chemotherapy are actually getting it. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a horrifying statistic. Um, and access is a huge issue. There's racial disparity in access. Oh, yeah. People that are black and brown have a much harder time getting access to this yeah. drug than people that are white. Uh, and then people that are white aren't able to get access to it at, at a sufficient yeah. level. And then at the same time, there are factions that are trying to, you know, that are, that are very anti it. So one of our goals is to is to hopefully shine a light on, 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 you know, Suboxone as a treatment, methadone as a treatment, on MAT, you know, medical-assisted treatments, um, to show, and by the way, you know, if you have an opioid use disorder, it doesn't mean you have to go on these drugs, no. right? But if you can't get off it, um, because it's changed your brain chemistry, and it can take up to two years for your brain chemistry, Correct. your brain to recover, and that's after you stopped. That's exactly right. right. So, so, you know, these drugs... Uh, can be extremely effective for many people. Uh, so, so hearing you talk about that is is fantastic, and and I know that there's a lot of activists that are very excited about this show, mm-hmm. that are hoping the show can help pave the way to exactly what I'm talking about and what you're talking about. Yeah, no, and and um, it's funny because, well, I say funny, not haha funny, but um, it's funny because when I was made aware of the show. I was already knee deep in this in this project, and um, not just my podcast, but what I was doing with MSP, and it was so, it was that light switch, you know, that goes off in your head that goes, huh, wait a minute, is this, is it like the the mouse before the cat or the cat before the mouse or the mouse trap? Because would have North Carolina even thought about doing this kind of outreach if they didn't have a problem? And if the problem didn't come from the money that they secured from the lawsuits, would this even be, you know, so it's like, are we helping because we have harmed or are we recognizing that we can just turn a blind eye, but instead we do something else? Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, obviously for me, not only just being in recovery, but being around people that have been in rooms and suffer, really suffer. Um, you know, the challenge for me is to understand where that passion comes from, right? Like for you, you don't really seem to have a passion for addiction as much as it is for telling a great story. Uh, yeah. And then it becomes a passion. For right. Addiction. No, and yeah, that, no, but and, it, it didn't, it didn't start there yeah. at all. You know, I mean, no, it's uh, not I'm, like you was like, Oh, I'm going to do this for my aunt to yeah, no, OD'd it, or it, I did this. It, you yeah. Know. I mean, look, I'm very fortunate. I've, 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 never had an opioid use disorder and I don't have any close relatives or friends no that, vices. that I know of that have. Uh, not really. I'm kind of boring. You know, it's funny. You were talking about a friend of yours, a white guy who's an OG, you mm-hmm. said. And, you know, I'm like the opposite of an OG. I'm just like this totally <laughs> You're nerdy, like nebbishy Jewish guy, you know? I mean, I've got a lot of allergies, right. okay? No, you know, and geez. I take Allegra every day. That's, and it helps with the allergies. Shout out to Allegra, by yes, the way. Yes, shout out to Allegra. Thank you, makers of Allegra. <laughs> um, and so so for me, it literally— it's, By the way, the Sacra family built, made Allegra, it, by the way. No, I, don't I can't take it anymore then. Um, says no more— No. That's just that's not true. I'm still on Allegra. Uh, by the way, it took me a while to come to Allegra. I went through a lot of these allergy medications. Oh, my goodness. Until... I, I feel so bad for people who have allergies. I also feel yeah. bad for people who have food allergies. And they can't yeah. figure that out. Yeah. That's just that's no, just the worst. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's all these things. But, but it comes from, it just comes from, you know, I just work on so many different things. And, and for me to want to, to say, oh, that's, that's worth two years of my life. It's got to be, I think, pretty profound. Oh yeah. What what's going on here? Um, and and simultaneously, I the goal is that it's also going to be great. You know, it's yeah. not just it's not just activism, right? right. It's, it's like, oh no, this is going to be a great movie or a great TV yeah. show. It's a very exciting piece. Yeah. At the end of the um, day, it's not about the story. Like, or I no one's going to see it, or it's not going to get made. Right. You know, right. or it's, or if it gets made, it won't be successful. Somebody, you know, and the, the themes won't be uh, the as, activism as, right. will get lost. Somebody said, "Don't let the truth get in the way of a great story." I re- yeah. remember somebody telling me in Hollywood, "Don't, don't search. Don't let the truth get in the way of a great story." 
I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? But now I, I kind of understand it a little bit since I've kind of... I'd be a little come... weary of that one too, though. So, well, sometimes I mean, people but... say that to like no, mix no, no, shit no. up in cases where no, you should No, 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 He meant yeah. it. He meant it. And look, it's not like you can tell the Sacras story as the Sacras, right? Because I'm sure you've got like a lineage, a literary lineage of lawyers who are like, wait a minute, hold on. This scene right here, this is... You know, between First Amendment, between yeah, people, to... we did pretty good. <laughs> if we got, I'm sure, yeah. no, I'm sure you did. I think we got a lot of scenes that are that are things that actually happen. We've got a lot of scenes. You know, kind of one of my main techniques I use yeah. to dramatize true stories because I've done several of them at this point right. is that not every scene happened. You right. know, uh, but I I will use fictional scenes as a conduit to get true facts out. Right. So the scene is there to get true information out, you know, whether it's character information that's true, mm-hmm. you know, in exposition that's plot, whatever it is. Yeah, so, of course. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a, you know, can be a little bit of a tightrope at times, sometimes not really. It's just sort of, yeah, that's fine. That's no big deal. But what have your compromises been, you know, like, you know, you talk about the seven years that you, you know, worked as an actor, right, to become a writer and then this. Have and you, I was working in that for about 15 years before. So, but it so, was seven years yeah. just writing that I wasn't right. successful. And then, no. you know, your passion project about Harry dying. I mean, you had to mourn that because you couldn't get that made. And let's just have a shiva on that for that. <laughs> but, you know, you you had to compromise something. Was it relationships? Was What was compromised during your time kind of growing this career that you're like, you look back and go, I wish I would have spent t- more time with blank. I don't know, my sanity. I don't know. My emotional really? state. I mean, I wouldn't say my sanity. Did you leave say, anybody behind? Girlfriends, I, I, I boyfriends, I significant others, dogs, know. whales? Dogs, no. I mean, birds? I don't know. In the my hummingbirds. in my twenties there was a lot of girls that I liked that didn't quite like me back. So right. what do you get what are you gonna do? You know? Right. I, you know, uh so it was yes, I was it wasn't like I sacrificed um, I don't use that uh, the, dating, you well, know. Let's just be clear. I, I, I don't trying. like the word comp <laughs> I don't like sacrifice. Because sacrifice means you had to give up something. Yeah. I think compromise is a better equator for work because compromise means you get something in return. Uh, for me, it, was, it wasn't it was a compromise at all because I was so passionate about what I was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it was very fulfilling for me. And as writing, even though I wasn't succeeding, you know, in a traditional sense, which means I was selling or getting paid for it, um, it was a very rewarding for me artistically, especially because an acting career is particularly difficult. Uh, it's it's completely rejection filled, uh, nonstop. They don't want you for they don't want to see you for the audition. You didn't get the call back. You didn't get the part. Right? right. So I'm hearing that all year long, and I was actually doing okay as an actor. I was working and paying the bills. Right. right? So, but it's still rejection filled all year long. So the writing would help me get my mind off it. Now, where things would start to get kind of painful, is well, seven years of not selling anything. I right. mean, think of how many scripts I'm sending yeah. out that and people are saying no to. Right, you're being rejected as an Reje- actor and, and a writer. As a writer. And there was an, I had an 18-month period where I had a huge lull in my acting career. And I don't think I got hired for 18 months. Wow. Simultaneously, my scripts are getting passed on, right? So, yeah, that can get pretty dark. And, and what, do, what do your parents say to you in those moments? Like, I didn't it, really what? have that kind of relationship with them. What does that mean? I didn't, I wouldn't call them and pour my heart out and talk about, you know. You're a Jew. Yeah, well, you know. Then you're not really Jewish. Okay, I'm sorry, I, hey, look, you know, you're the one judging, mm-hmm. but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, 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 but re- yeah. I, I'm so shocked because when I was, you know, when I was coming up as a, as mm-hmm. a rap artist and, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the only white rapper coming up in the 80s. Like, the, there was nobody. And I told my mother at the table that instead of getting a four-year taking a four year to George Washington University for for music I'm going to be a rapper she was like what do you mean you're going to rap gifts at two guys like what do you mean you're gonna rap <laughs> gifts at Macy's and you know there was this time when you know when things weren't happening whatever yeah I had that relationship with my mother and she'd be like yo stop whining like mm-hmm. put on your big boy pants go out you got a timeline follow the timeline if you don't follow it you know figure it figure it out like yeah. whatever so you didn't have that with your mom and dad no. where you could just call them and just... No. So who was the person that you called that said, help me? You had to have a tow line of... You was know. it really just you? Come on, man. I mean, I wasn't I, I wasn't lonely or isolated or, you know, off in a corner. I, I mean, I had some really close friends. Uh, you know, some really close friends I would talk to about this stuff. But at the same time, there isn't a lot to say about it. 
Um, except, uh, how's it going? Not good, <laughs> you know? I mean, that's amazing. I'm <laughs> uh, doing dude, great like... right now. But, but I'll say, you know, part of it, though, there was a little bit of shame in it where I didn't want people to, to think <sighs> that I was failing. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, I know, but that's, that's but that keeps you quiet, you know? No, I know, and that kind of keeps, also, yeah. keeps it kind of rolled in. And, and uh, yeah, so I don't remember... I don't. I just remember it was a very tough time. That I mean, month yeah. I mean, you can see my friend Adam in there. I call him when I can't find the right bagel. I call like, him you know, too. So, and yo, he said, teasing. "Find your own bagel." It's, it's, it got really yeah, brutal. No, you it's, know? It's, he's a tough. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for nothing. A, yeah, he's mm-hmm. a real shithead. Yeah. That guy. Anyway, but um, man, I, I almost want to say I'm sorry to hear that because I almost want to feel like you had like a sense of people because I remember going through 18 months of blank as well and just being like. I got to lean on somebody. I'm not strong enough. Like, yeah. I'm not strong enough. I mean, thank goodness I had my wife. You know, my wife and I have been together 33 years. But even outside of that, I had to have a Rolodex of people. That's how old I am. I go to the Rolodex, not contacts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rolodex of people that I'm like, help me. What do, what do I do? Like, what? Do, yeah. where is that, you know? So I just, I, I kind of want to give you props. But at the same time, I'm like, really? Yeah. Like, nobody? Yeah. You know, I, I wish that I had... Um... Maybe gone to therapy in my mm-hmm. 20s. I should be in therapy now, to be honest right. with you. I've, only, I've done it a few times, and it's always been very helpful. Uh, uh, I think meditation's really great. I wish I'd come uh, to that earlier. Yeah, Because um, I, didn't, I didn't do that then. You no, know? me neither. But, and I uh, love meditation. Yeah, I, I think know. meditation's really amazing. It's a major part of my creative process and, right. and just mental health. Um, yeah, it, but, gets uh, clear, it clears the clutter. Yeah. And you get to be able to breathe and, and you know— where are you in terms of your creative process now? What's the next project for you? What are you What are you thinking about? I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm toiling on a few things. Uh, yeah. I'm sort of early stages. Uh, I, I have a TV company now, which is mm-hmm. very cool. Ah, nice. And, Muzzle uh, tough. Thank you. And so I've I'm there's. By several... the way, for all my my friends in hip hop, that means good looking. Congrats. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Right. <laughs> so I uh, I have a slate of projects that I'm producing okay. that I'm not the writer of, and and you know the the cultural appropriate that you were talking about while I'm still very passionate about about you know uh, uh, giving voices to to cultures that don't normally get them in mainstream entertainment mm-hmm. so um, instead of me writing them I'm now uh, getting people I'm selling their projects That's you know amazing. I got a Puerto Rican writer he's writing this right. amazing Puerto Rican is it uh, Carlito story. by the way it's not Carlito shit I, I, by Carlito the way, I try to look I'd out bro I work with Carlito in a heartbeat uh, I've got a project called Ya Bint which is about these Arab girls in their mid to late 20s oh wow and the, and the, the sort of the struggle of, of living in Los Angeles but it's funny because you're almost now saying what I said about my man Big U which is like he's the black guy with the talent who needs the white guy in the room it's almost the same thing as what you're I, saying now. I think that I think that's kind of true. That that what I'm doing is I'm using my my position in the industry to help other people get their projects going. But it's not charity. I, I think they're no, great writers and I think their projects are really cool and, and I'm Dude, excited about not, them. It's never and, about charity. Yeah, it's, it's about it's about unfortunately look, it's about what it is. Mm-hmm. It's like there are people like me who I didn't grow up around a lot of white people and the white people that I grew up grew up around, will call me a Schwarza, mm-hmm. will call me a Wigger, would call me a wannabe. So I really had a disdain for white people. So when I had an opportunity to help Nas and help other artists, I made sure they got the best deals of their lives, even when it didn't benefit me the way it should have, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but there is this whole argument now in 2021, and if this is evergreen in 2022, 2023, which is like, yo, you shouldn't even be there in the first place now search danny you why do you even have to be there in the first place why do i even need you mm-hmm. I, I would take it a step further i think to me the ultimate goal is where it doesn't matter and we're all in it together trying to get something great made and get and get something new fresh original new voices yeah you know or or they're not even new voices you know i i, I sort of feel like um you know, there's something about this period right now, although I think a little less so where where it, it can get a little divisive. Yeah. Um, and I personally, you know, I, I, I don't think that's healthy either. I think that there's I think that the more collaboration of different people, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, Amen. Uh, pe- people coming together. Amen. I think it's I think to me, you know, there's this phrase uh, in, the, in the civil rights movement. 
uh, called the Beloved Community, right? Which was lifting everyone up. And to me, that was one yeah. of the reasons why I wrote The Butler was when I read about the Beloved Community. And I was so moved by that, inspired yeah. by that. And it's where everyone, everyone, you know, lifts yeah. up. Uh, and helps each other, and it's it's very idealistic. But I don't give a shit. I'll be as idealistic as I no, want. No, I you think know? that's dope. So, I mean, so that's that's sort of where I'm at. And and this in so this this time we're in right now, where there's you know there's there's uh, you know passionate feelings on the subject, and I understand that passion. And so now I'm just trying to okay. So where can I? I'm very practical. You know, yeah. I'm like, how do you get shit done? Uh, and how do you? And how does that? And how does that succeed? Right. Right. So it's like, well, I still have my my passion feelings on issues so what's the best way to serve that passion right. and so um, so so producing other people's projects and producing diverse projects as opposed to writing them myself is is that's where I'm that's that's where I'm that outlet and, and that uh, that passion is 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 leading into I wanted to ask you another question just you know from an industry perspective if you don't mind uh-huh. and you can tell me you know I'm I don't want to talk about it and that's fine you know um, you know, obviously, Dave Chappelle is catching a lot of flack for sure. his transgender community. Um, I don't want to say rant because it's not, but it's comedy. But what I found very disturbing is that he talked about at the end of his special, his transgender comic friend mm-hmm. who wound up becoming a friend of his, mm-hmm. open for his show. That whole acknowledgement at the end, I just want you to acknowledge I'm having a human experience and she was ridiculed to the point where she killed herself Mm -hmm. it has come out that a lot of the ridicule came from people in the transgender community who called her a sellout who called her all sorts of negative names and whether that was the reason she killed herself is we can't claim one way or the other but there seems to me to be this zeitgeist moment in whether it's a me too but a zeitgeist me too um, inappropriate wording, but you'll understand where I'm going. There's a zeitgeist where it's like, oh, let's jump on this now. Let's jump on Dave. He's the hottest thing. Out. Let's jump on Dave Chappelle. Let's not even focus on the fact that he completed his whole thought of transgender and how he feels about it and got to the point where he pointed the finger back at them. Let's just let's just take this piece because this will be hot for the moment. This will give us a platform. This will give us all of this, right? Do you feel that he's being victimized? Do you see the story not being completed? I'm. I see the story completed. So I'm going to go f- like full First Amendment on this one, please. Which is how I feel about the issue. Which is, I think. I think he has the right to do his his comedy. They have the right to protest it to the level that they are. Um, and and Ted Sarandos has the right to to keep it on the air. You know, and into uh, he's the head of Netflix, right? Right. So, so I, I, I'm, you know, I hope this doesn't sound like a cop out, but I'm kind of on everyone's side on this. I totally understand um, the transgender. You're so sensible. I, I, You're no, such but, a sensible person. But I get the transgender community being in like furious and wanting to speak out about about his act, right? And I get his act, right? I've seen a lot of Dave Chappelle. Uh, the one thing about Dave Chappelle is that. Um, you know, it's it's not as if uh, it's all Candyland, except in the transgender community. I mean, he's 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 like he rips into everyone, yeah. right? I mean, it's even in that special, right? He's he did a whole spiel on a friend of mine once yeah. and ripped the hell out of him, and uh, you know, it was very funny. Well, you right, know? right, right. But it was it was uh, and it you know it was he was it was Chappelle, right? So I, I get I, I I respect him doing his his work as as an artist, and I totally respect. Um, them lambasting him for it and saying this we we don't like this and this upsets us and I and I really appreciate uh, uh, Netflix um, uh, not canceling it you know because yeah. uh, it would be easy to, to just cancel it right and and uh, and so I, I kind of think it's uh, I think there's a lot of interesting cool things that are being discussed uh, in in many ways and I'm not gonna talk about who I think is is good or bad or right or, or not. Um, I just, I'm just sort of, uh, I just, I love the discussion. I kind of love uh, the, the fire that's going on here. Yeah. Um, and and uh, that's, that's where I stand. And where you stand, and it's funny because I, I pulled this quote up because I think it's, it's, I think it's you. And I think you hit you right on the head. You said, um, 
I write characters for every race, gender, and sexual orientation. I write some characters that are animals. That's just my job. To me, writing Empire is not more difficult than Sarah Palin, Sarah Palin and Game Change. I mean, I'm not a Republican from Alaska. Um, That's true. So thank <laughs> you. Accurate. No, but thank yeah. you for being consistent. Thank you for being the white guy in um, black spaces who doesn't kowtow, who doesn't pretend to be something they're not. Um, because I do think that at the end of the day, brothers like you in rooms like that do elevate the equality question. You're not trying to be something you're not. You're not trying to walk in with an affect. You're not trying to listen to Drake and act cool. You're not trying to wear a, a bape, you know, hoodie. You're who you are, and that authenticity speaks volumes in not only the work you're doing, but the work you'll continue to do. And um, I'm just so thankful that we got mm. to spend some time together, yeah, man. Yeah, I you. really appreciate all that. Yeah, I, I do. It's, it, it means a lot. And I think that's, you know, I think you kind of summed me up right. I don't, I, I don't go into the Empire Writers' Room, you know, uh, trying to be anything other than the short, nerdy Jew. Yeah. You know? And that's, you play and that, that, that very, very well. Yes. Well played, <laughs> Thank sir. Thank you. Thank you. This is Search <laughs> Says, um, Danny Strongman, his show, among other shows, Dope Sick is out now on Hulu. Catch that, rep that. But more importantly, if you know someone who is um, who has addiction, make them watch it and hopefully help them get the help they need. This is Search Says, um, if you like our show, subscribe. Uh, they can find you on Instagram. Is there any place that you want people to subscribe and uh, uh, send notes and messages? Uh, well, and... I'm on at Danny Strong at Instagram and at Danny Strong on Twitter. I'm more active on Twitter than Instagram, but yeah. I'm on uh, Instagram as well. Okay, good. Very simple. Yep. Cuts to the chase. He doesn't have sexy Danny Strong as a, no, as an Instagram. I, I, no, I, there's no OG yeah, Danny I Strong. I sexy wrong. <laughs> I used two X's. I'm like, wait, how do you spell it? I can't no, remember. No, that, Where's my Allegra? Then you really <laughs> took that from Prince, right? There you go. 